0: Morning church. When I put this shirt on this morning, my wife said I think you're going to be hot and I said I'll be fine. She was right. We're just getting started. Uh but wow, it is hot. Good morning church. We are coming to the end of our study on the heart of Christ. All right? We're just this week and then we have one more week next week and then we're done. And the following week, so following when we when we finish this study, we're going to be looking at missions. We're actually going to be looking at our mission, right, to make disciples wherever we go, whether it's to the grocery store or whether it's to a foreign land. We're going to spend a couple weeks looking at our mission as we make disciples wherever we go. But before we get to making disciples, we're going to look at a few more things of being a disciple, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And one of the key elements of a disciple of Jesus is their love for God. That they must love God. This is not just one of the key elements. This is the foundational element. This is the key element that we love God. It's the most important thing. According to Jesus, the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and with all your strength. And as a church, we define a disciple as someone who loves God, lives like Jesus, and helps others do the same. And so when we talk about loving God, that is a foundational part of being a disciple. And one of the ways that we grow our love for God is to understand his heart, is to know his heart for each of us. And that is why we have spent eight weeks, nine weeks, and ten weeks looking at the heart of Christ, that we may know it more, that we may know it better, and that may, we may grow in our love for Jesus. No matter what we have been through, no matter what we are going through, no matter what we will go through, as much as our situations change and our feelings fluctuate and our self-value bounces all over the place, whether our hearts rejoice, whether our hearts are weeping, we can take refuge in knowing that God's heart for us doesn't change, right? That it won't change. Change, And when we know that we are loved no matter what, right, when we know that we are loved unconditionally, our love grows for the person who gives that love to us. One of the reasons that I love my wife more and more each day is because I never fail to do something more dumb today than I did yesterday. And she continues to love me more and more and more. It is absolutely amazing. And when I said I do, I didn't think it was possible to love her anymore. But each day that I get to know her more, and each day I get to know her heart more, I love her more and more. The time that I said I do, that day that I said I do, was just the beginning. It wasn't the end, it wasn't the peak of our relationship, it wasn't okay, we're married, everything here is downhill, but little did I know it was just the start of a relationship that would get stronger and stronger every day. And today, I want to challenge us to look at the heart of Christ and to realize that when we were saved, when we put our faith in Christ, it wasn't the peak of our walk with Jesus. It wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. Too many times, Christians look at the time that they surrendered their life to Christ, the time that they got baptized, right? The the moment that they recognized that period of surrendering to Christ, And they say, that's the climax of my relationship with Jesus. Like, I've made it to the top. That's all there is. And I know this because for a long time, that's what I thought. For a long time, that's what I believed. It wasn't until I was at church one day and the pastor walked up to me and he said, hey, how is Jesus working in your life? And I just kind of looked at him and said, hey, man, I'm baptized. I'm like an Eagle Scout of Christians, man. I made it to the top. And he looked at me and said, man, we got to go to lunch because God works in all of his believers' lives, and I can't wait to hear what he's doing in your life. I was like, what? What? Rocked my world. I was so confused. I thought that I got baptized. I thought I had finished my Christian walk. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, because I'm looking around some of your faces, and some of you are like, wait, there's more? Wait, there's, there's more to this? Yes, there's more. There's, there's lots more. And when we learn about God's heart, the more the affections of our heart yearn for him. The more his love draws us into him, the more his love draws us into loving him. And the passage that we're gonna look at today is going to help us understand just how rich in mercy God's love is for you this morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles, turn away me to Ephesians chapter two. This is actually a very popular chapter about God's grace. Us as a church, not too many weeks ago, we spent some time looking at this passage and God's grace in our lives. And I want to go back and I want to look at that passage now and I want to look at it in terms of his mercy in our lives. Sometimes we use these terms, mercy and grace, we use them interchangeably, but they're actually very different. Both of them, God's grace and God's mercy, they make up his love for us, but they are different. Different. Grace is the act of giving. You probably heard this in in church. It's giving of unmerited favor. God gives us a gift that we do not deserve. We call that heaven or we call that spending eternity with him in the presence of his holiness. That is grace because whether you have sinned one time or one million times, and unless you're still in the womb, you're closer to one million times, he gives us the gift. He makes it Uh, uh, gives us the ability to spend eternity with him even though we're not worthy of that. Even though we don't deserve that, his, his grace provides a way for us to spend eternity with him. And so while grace is giving something, mercy is the act of withholding a deserved punishment. Right? God does not give us the punishment we deserve. When we talk about mercy, that's what we are talking about. And scripture tells us that the wages of sin are death, when we talk about death, we're talking about eternal, not just physical. We're talking about eternal separation from God forever. But God shows us mercy by withholding our deserved punishment from us. Right? Jesus' blood was shed for our sins, and God's mercy withheld us from facing the wrath of God that we deserve. Something that we cannot do. So let's go ahead and let's look at God's mercy in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes this. And you who are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These are verses that as a church we've also spent a lot of time looking at this. I was looking at this in my book and I can see where I highlighted. There's actually holes in this passage um, as we work through this. But these verses, they are not pleasant. But understanding these verses is like the black felt. Right, that we place diamonds on so we can understand the purity and the, the clarity and the value of those jewels. And so, when we talk about the depravity of man, we are laying a foundation for that black felt. It allows us to see the beauty. And when we truly understand what he did, the gospel becomes so beautiful with the backdrop of who we are. It helps us to see. That because we were once dead, we are fully, we are completely dependent upon the mercy of God. It has often been noted that these verses in Ephesians are a three-verse summary of the doctrine of total depravity, of death of humankind. The biblical doctrine of depravity means that every part of the human person is tainted by sin. As Pastor Kent Hughes, he reminds us that this does not mean that all humans are equally depraved, nor does it mean that humans are not capable of any good, or that there is no dignity in man, for there certainly is, because we are the imperfect bearers of the image of God. When God made us in his image, we are Christ's image bearers, we are image bearers of God. Rather, what this means is that there is no part of the human being their mind, their emotions, their heart, their will, that is unaffected by the fall. Each part of our lives has been touched by sin. All of us are depraved. Scripture says we are totally depraved. There is no life in us apart from Christ. We are dead in our sins. All people, all humankind, every single person is dead apart from Jesus Christ. Paul's statement, you were dead. This is an absolute statement. He makes it very clear. Paul, a a man of words and sayings, he makes a very clear statement. You were dead. And that's exactly what it means. Death is not a figure of speech. It wasn't some type of illustration that Paul was trying to use. It means that you were absolutely dead, 100% spiritually dead. He doesn't mean that they were simply in danger of death, that they were approaching death, that they were halfway kind of dead. It's like being halfway kind of pregnant. No, you were dead. They were in a state of real and present death. The biblical doctrine of depravity demands acceptance of man's absolute spiritual death. Do You get what that means? Absolute spiritual death. And this is important to understand because we know that dead people can't do anything. We know that there's nothing expected of dead people. One of my favorite stories that's going through history was in 2013. That's history. 2013 at the board meeting at the University College Hospital in London, the chairman was taking role. And during that role, he said this, Jeremy um, Bentham, present but not voting And he says this because Jeremy is the uh, late 18th century philosopher, and he was dead. However, it was his wish for his body to be preserved and dressed and had it in 19th century attire and attend the board meeting of this place. It's gross, (laughs) right? Jeremy, present, but not voting. Right? There was, at this point, there's pretty much nothing left of him but plastic, and they said his, his body is like plastic and hay that they keep doing. The only real natural part that remains is his hair. But he is dead, and there is no expectation that he will take part in that meeting. Right? He's not going to raise his hand and vote. He's not going to give his opinions. He's not taking minutes. He's just dead. He is just sitting there. He has no ability to do anything. And that's what Paul is talking about us. This was us. This was our spiritual state before Christ. Or maybe it is you right now. If you don't know Christ, if you are apart from Christ, you are dead. Just like Jeremy. There can be no expectation that you can do anything because you were, or maybe you are, currently dead. You didn't, or you don't have the ability to do anything. You are dead. Everyone without Christ is dead. Most people don't want to hear this today. Many pulpits don't preach this today. If you've ever heard the saying, uh, the gospel is offensive enough, you don't need to be offensive. What they're referring to is, people don't like to be told that they're dead. But that is the gospel. That is what scripture tells us. This is a critical truth because Christ's atoning death doesn't make sense unless you're dead. Right, If you aren't dead, then who cares if Jesus is the life? Right? If you can find life outside of Jesus, then Jesus isn't the way. If you found another way other than Jesus, then Jesus isn't the truth. If you believe any of this, here's the truth, you don't believe in Jesus. Right? If you believe any of this, you don't believe in Jesus, the Bible isn't your authority, and you are spiritually dead. Human beings as sons and daughters of Adam entered the world spiritually dead. I think we're kicking a dead horse, but this is something we have to understand before we move on. Right? People that are dead have no inclination, no responsiveness towards God, and no ability to please God by themselves. We are spiritually dead. This is the black felt that the beauty of the gospel will shine so much better on when we understand that this is us and that this is the gospel. As we put, these really aren't diamonds. Nobody steal these, they're beads. But you get the point. <laughs> Took me a long time to find these. I don't have to look for them again. But this is the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? We are the black felt that is laid out on the, con- on the counter. But now, let's switch gears. Let's stop talking about the dead black felt and talk about the diamond. Go ahead and pick up with me in verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead, and before we were even Jesus's, before we were even allowed to be in his presence, before we even knew who he does, when we were dead with no expectation, God came to us and put away our sins. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he showed us mercy and made us alive in him. God showed us mercy when we were dead. And that's what these verses are talking about. We were corrupt in our nature, we were sinful in our practice, We could have no claim on God, and the only thing that we deserved was death. Eternal separation from God. But, verse 4, some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, withheld what we deserve from us. It was in His mercy that He withheld death and punishment. Right? But God, before we were His, He put away our sins. It required so much mercy. To remove such wretchedness, to remove such death, and to pardon our transgressions. But God, rich in mercy. And church, this is the problem right now, is in churches all, all over the, the world that are sitting and gathering and meeting today, many of them are thinking, I'm not that bad. Right? I'm okay. I'm I'm pretty good. I'm good enough. I'm not as bad as Hitler, I'm not as bad as Stalin, I'm not as bad as blah, blah, I'm not as bad as the person next to me, whatever you're thinking. Just that thought alone is sin. Just that thought alone is given to you by the evil one. It is straight from hell. It sounds a lot like those first two kids in the garden that we read about in Scripture. And it's also preventing you from realizing the full glory of the gospel, your full dependence on Jesus. That he is the way and the truth and the life. Right? Your, your black cloth as you try to see the gospel, you can't see the full beauty of the gospel. Its clarity is lost in your foggy perception of yourself. Now you believe a lie. You believe a lie that the church is too often taught from the pulpit. They say this, that God helps those who helps themselves. This teaching does not come from the Bible. This teaching does not come from the lips of Jesus or the heart of God. No matter what the internet or some self-help coach tells you, that is not a teaching of God's heart. As Paul emphasizes in this section, the truth is actually the exact opposite. That God helps the helpless. No um, No matter what we're facing, God shows mercy to those who are dead and unable to do anything. That's who God shows mercy to. Self-help will not lead anybody to salvation. Self-help will not give you a crown in heaven. Self-help will not earn you a right to sit next to Jesus. Without Christ, you are dead. No one has ever crawled out of the casket by themselves. Even if they tried just a little harder work just a little bit harder, they are not going to crawl out of their own casket. He or she must be made alive together with Christ. God's mercy on the helpless flows from his loving heart. It flows from the heart of Christ, not from anything that we have done, not from anything that made us deserve for God to show us mercy or to give us grace, not that we have done anything that helps God, save us. That helps God show mercy. Everything we do apart from Christ leads to death. Right? We should be dead. Our sin makes us completely deserving of death. But God, rich in mercy. Right? But God, we were dead, helpless, and useless. But God, now we have life. We have eternal life filled with hope and joy and peace. We have a purpose. Right? Our purpose to glorify God and we have a mission to make disciples, and it's his mercy that equips us to do both. His mercy gives us life, and that's the next part, so that's one thing we talk about, going from death to life, and it is because of his mercy that allows us to do so, and that is something we've talked about, and we've preached about, and it's something that we often hear as we do Bible studies, but this next part, verse 7, as I was studying this week, wow. Let's go and I want to just look at this. We're going to spend the most of our time on just this verse this morning. Starting in verse 7. So then, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Church, let me summarize this. That God shows immeasurable mercy on us even now that we are alive in him. God shows immeasurable mercy on us now that we are alive in him. This wasn't a one-time thing. This is something that happens again and again and again. Right? There was a time that we were enemies of God and he showed us mercy by withholding what we deserved. Right? He withheld death from us and he demonstrated grace, unmerited favor, and he gave us life. But check this out as we continue to look at this passage to show us that his mercy, because he has given us life, Right? But one of the reasons he has to keep showing us mercy over and over and over again is because he's given us life, but we keep acting like we're dead. Right, We keep doing stupid things. Right? We are enticed by the things of this world. We are seduced by the desires of our own flesh. All these things we know in our mind that they lead to death. All these things we know that they are counter to God. All of these things that suffocate the very life that God gave us yet time and time and time again he continues to show us mercy that's pretty dang amazing right just just the other day i had this talk with max he's my youngest son he's he's nine years old and we have one of these talks these are really really rare with max part of the reason is he usually tells on himself before i even know he did something wrong right max is just he's that guy but he was acting in a way that is, is not real favorable for life in the Neil household. So we had to sit down, and we had to have a little talk. I made the assumption that he didn't know what he was doing. He's nine years old, so we could show him some mercy. He wasn't going to get in trouble this time, but we had a little come-to-Jesus moment, right? And as we are talking, and unlike uh, uh, Jesus, right, because I'm not Jesus, I don't claim to be God, um, I do have limitations to my mercy, and so I was making this, this known to him that my mercy is out, right? It's not new every morning for you. This is the last time this is going to, to happen, Max. And I made sure he knew that if he acted like that again, things would not work out well for him. It would be a bad day. Max, I am 100% out of mercy on this. I am not withholding punishment next time you do that. My mercy has a limit. Praise God. Praise God that he is not like us. (laughs) He would have been out of mercy a long time ago. God never, ever runs out of mercy. He has those talks with us, but they never, ever end with, I'm gonna run out of mercy. There's no limit to his mercy. His love abounds in immeasurable riches of grace and mercy in our lives. The famed preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said it like this. He, and he's referring to God, overflows all the demands that can ever be made on the grace of God will never impoverish him or even diminish his store of mercy. There will remain in in incalculability precious mine of mercy as full as when he first began to bless the sons of men. God's mercy will never ever run out. The mercy of God is, is limitless Lamentations reminds us that God's mercies are new. They're brand new every morning. Most mercy flows from God's love. It flows from his goodness. It is his very nature to show mercy. Right? It's his nature. It's his heart. What that means is he cannot not show mercy. If God stopped being merciful, he would stop being God. It is who God is. It is the very heart of God to be merciful and as we continue to think that we aren't that bad as we continue to question his glory as we seek life apart from him he continues to show us mercy again and again and again and again and for some of us again and again and again so we have to ask ourselves right, why? Why does God lavish such love and mercy upon his people? Why would he do such a thing? And when we look at this passage, I love this. So they will marvel for all eternity over the incredible kindness and love of God. Think about that. For all of eternity. It will take all of eternity for us to fathom God's love. And those who are saved, those who know God, those who are walking with God, those who seek God's heart, will never, ever get to the bottom of God's mercy. Not in your eight years of life, but for all of eternity. King King David, you guys remember King David, he said this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love, mercy and grace, towards those who fear him. And what catches my heart about that, that passage, this is King David. This is King David who committed adultery, he murdered his friend, he directly disobeyed God and he conducted this census and people have been talking about his failures for over 3,000 years. Not to mention, God, by God's sovereignty, he ordained these stories to be captured in writing and he put them in the best-selling book of all time, the Holy Bible, the book that has been translated in more than any other language. So everybody who reads this book, we study and we talk about the failures of David. And David says his steadfast love, his grace, and his mercy is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Even as David faced such horrible things, he just speaks of God's mercy in his life. God throughout eternity is going to be revealing the fullness of his mercy that he provides for you in Jesus Christ for all of eternity. You know what that means for you? It means in a a million years from now, a million years from this time period, if you have been made alive in Christ, we are going to be standing in his glory and we will see him and we will know him and we will still, even after a million years, be amazed at the mercy that he has shown us in our lives. We will be amazed. After a million years... Hopefully, all of us in this room will be up there worshiping God, and after a million years, we will still be telling stories to one another, one-upping your story of how God's mercy in my life was awesome. And I will share a story with you, and you'll say, oh, no, 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 I got one for you. Oh, no, 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 I got one for you. And for a million years, we will not tell of all of God's mercy in our life. Eternity will not be long enough for us to tell of all all of the mercy of God's mercy in our lives. I'm gonna be really honest with you, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like when we look at heaven, there's all these things like, ah, oh, I wanna worship God, and we think that the things that are important to us now, um, they probably won't be important when we're in heaven. Like we're just gonna worship God and sing holy and like having cars and playing, being like a professional athlete and all this. Stuff. It's not gonna matter. We talk about it, but it's really not true. But one of the things though is just being reminded and worshiping God for all of the mercy that he has shown us in our life. Like, I just want to do that now. And guess what? In God's mercy, we don't have to wait. Right? We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience his mercy in our lives. We can experience his mercy in our lives right now. We can experience his mercy in our lives right now. It's actually pretty simple. There's only a few things that we want to do, and I'm just going to share these four things with you. Um, the first thing we want to do is we just have to acknowledge our need for God's mercy. We just have to realize that this is who we are. We just have to realize that we are this black felt and that without Him we are left to face the wrath of God. We just have to acknowledge that we need God's mercy. We must continue to recognize the, the ongoing need for His mercy in our lives. It wasn't like I gave my life to Christ, I got baptized, and I don't need His mercy anymore. That's not how it works. That's you. And we have to acknowledge our need. For his mercy. The second thing we have to do is we have to ask God for his mercy. It's not something that we can deserve. It's not something that we can earn. Like we can't work really, really hard for it. But here's, here's the beauty of the gospel. Is God gives it freely. God just gives it to us. We just ask and he gives it to us. James, the, the half-brother of Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. I mean, he's talking about prayer. And when he says that, he's talking about like physical things. But we're talking about mercy. When was the last time you just prayed, God, show me your mercy? God, have mercy in my life. Prayerlessness results in failure to receive many of God's blessings in our lives. We just fail to acknowledge our need. We fail to ask for it. I'll challenge you, just write this down on your to-do list. I'm gonna ask God for his mercy. Just do that this week. When you're praying, just say, you know what? I asked you for a lot of things that I want. I'm gonna ask you for something I need. God, show me your mercy this week. Self-condemnation, thinking that you're not worthy can also hinder us in receiving God's mercy. Right? We think, I'm not going to ask him, I'm not worthy of it, I don't deserve it. You're right, you don't deserve it, but go ahead and ask him for it anyway. Right? He gives it freely to those who ask. Just ask him, I need your mercy. So we need to acknowledge, we need to ask, and the next thing we need to do is we need to accept God's mercy. Pastor Dane Ortlund, he writes this in his book, he said, One of his, out of his heart flows mercy, out of ours, reluctance to receive it. I'm not going to get into it because we spent a long time actually in our small group as we were going through this study talking about just that, just talking about our natural reluctance to receive God's mercy in our life, right? we you're thinking of this exchange, what do I have to give to get and do I have enough to give? And we go through all of these things, but we just have a natural reluctance to receiving his mercy, Right, when we fall short or when we get off track or when we're in a, a tough spot, sometimes our pride becomes a hindrance to us receiving his mercy. We'll say things like this, ah, not yet. Or when I, and you fill in the blank, when I do this, when I'm good enough, when I think I'm good enough, then I will ask for his mercy. Oh wait, I have to stop doing something. I can't ask for his mercy until I stop doing something maybe he doesn't approve of. Or I can't ask him for his mercy because he won't give it to me because I did this. And you can fill in the blank. All of us got a thousand things we could fit in there. But here's the truth. Yes, he will. Yes, he will give you that mercy because he's already accomplished the work on the cross. He's already done it. So just right now, just be humble. You're, You're not greater than God. Your sins are not greater than God. There's nothing you can do that is greater than God. So when you say things like, oh, he won't or he can't, you're wrong. Simply put, you are wrong. You need to humble yourselves. There's nothing that you do that is greater than God. Just humble yourselves. Listen, no matter how bad or good you think you are, you still need God's mercy in your life. He is offering it to you. Just simply accept it. Just accept it. One way that we see the, the greatness of God is that to see how He begs man to receive this gift, to receive His gift of mercy and grace. And the truth is, when we offer a gift to somebody and they refuse it, and I've done this with my brothers, my like, here he goes, like, I don't want that. Sweet, it's for me. Right? We we take it. We we don't chase them down and say, Oh no no no, please take this gift. No, I want you to have this gift. I'm like, fine. I'm gonna take it back and get my money back. Right? God doesn't do that. Right, God pleads with us. Even when we refuse his mercy, he reaches into a storehouse of mercy and gives us more. He gives us more and he persists with us and he begs us to receive this free gift of mercy. Right, he sent his son to the cross. The work's been done. Right, the, the, we've talked about how mercy is the, the, the withholding of that punishment. Well, that was withholding from us. That punishment still had to happen because we have a just God. So he's already done it to his son. But he has shown us mercy and that we don't have to face the wrath of God. And then finally, church, and this is where churches often miss this, finally we have to apply his mercy. We have to apply his mercy in life. The appropriate response to his mercy is to be merciful towards others. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive Mercy. We are to be gracious and merciful in our judgment of others. We are to be gracious towards others. It's so interesting when I'm sharing scriptures and, and talking with other people who are talking about Jesus and they come to somebody and they say, oh, no, 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 Jesus can't show mercy to me because um, we just had to talk to other today. I have a tattoo. Well, so? He can still show you mercy. He can? right? What? That's not what my pastor told me. That's not what my friend told me. That's not what my... No. No, no, no. We have to be merciful towards others. Right? The, the continually giving of nature of God's mercy is not only for ourselves. It is extended to us in a matter such that we can continually pour it out to others. That we can reflect God's mercy. That we can manifest God's mercy to those around us. To those in our community. God did not give us these storehouses of mercy to pour down on us so we can hoard them. He gives them to us as an outward focus and we are to respond with mercy towards others. And I know, I know, I know this can be hard. Right? Some of us are not gifted in mercy. I have never taken a spiritual gift test where mercy wasn't one of the bottom two. Right? I, I spent my formative years of adulthood in the Marine Corps. I did not work on mercy towards others. That was not something we trained to or talked about. I'm a pastor. I deal with people all the time. All the time I deal with people. And as much as I love people, I know that there are some people that this is really, really hard. You don't have an excuse. Because right? showing others mercy isn't about them. It's really not even about us, it's about God, right? It's about showing our love for God because it's something that he has asked us to do. It's really easy to make it about somebody else, it's really easy to make it about us, but when we show mercy to other people, it is about God. It is about our love for God. The fourth century father, uh, Jerome, he wrote this, love finds nothing hard, no task is difficult to the eager, Think of all that Jacob bore for Rachel, the wife who had been promised to him. So we must love Christ and always seek his embraces. Then everything difficult will seem easy. Then everything difficult will seem easy when we are seeking Christ. When we are seeking Christ, we can't help but be reminded. We can't help but think of the mercy that he shows in our lives every single day. It should be easy to show those around us mercy. It should be easy to reflect that mercy to those around us. Every person must receive God's mercy to become a follower of God. To become a follower of Christ, we must receive his mercy. We can't do it apart from him. We cannot be born again without God's mercy. But his mercy does not stop with our new lives in him, it just begins. God's mercy continues to fill our lives and flow through our lives. God's mercy as we walk with Christ, as we seek Christ, it continues to fill our lives and flow through our lives to others for our purpose in life, which is to glorify God. As we seek his mercy, as we are filled with his mercy, it flows through us for the glory of God.